Hello and welcome to the Antifada, where unrest is best. I'm Jamie Peck. I'm Sean KB. I'm AP Andy. And we are here with an excellent guest today. She's a reporter at Geo Media. Uh, that's who owns Jezebel now. Uh, an author of Republic of Lies, American Conspiracy Theorists and Their Surprising Rise to Power, out now from Metropolitan. I'm speaking, of course, about Anna Merlin. Hi. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So um, I understand that you came from a boat party earlier. Uh, that sounds pretty fancy. Can you tell us what exactly you were doing there? I was on my friend's tugboat and we were building uh, a habitat for geese. So less fancy, more habitat for geese. There was I no, was not helpful. No crystal there at all. No. There was no crystal. No bottles, no models. I'm afraid not. Maybe that was a different boat, but this boat did not have any of those things but wow. we did successfully build a little habitat for geese with a little ramp for the baby geese to walk up that's so, nice cute. it was good yeah uh, i mean wyatt coke wasn't invited so it couldn't have been that cool but <laughs> and you, i'm sure you had a nice time and jamie said it, it's on newtown creek is that right yeah it's on the newtown creek they just moved around the corner from where they were before but noted fancy body of water newtown very creek. fancy <laughs> there are so many geese though and you see them just drinking out of it and you know, swimming around. So hopefully they're good. They've all got gonorrhea. They've all, every one of them. For just the bottom of the goose is just <laughs> bubbling with pustules. Just oof. For, mm -hmm. for listeners who don't know, the uh, Newtown Creek is a famously polluted Superfund site, uh, very similar to the Gowanus Canal. The, the infamously industrially ravaged Gowanus Canal, yeah. which we are just steps away from, or maybe about a half hour walk. I don't know. Well, I had when I worked at a moving company, uh, there was a uh, houseboat out behind uh, the, the lot and it was on the Gowanus Canal and these crust punks lived in it. And, uh, you know, it wasn't quite their best life, but it was a life. And the best times I think they had were when the New York City uh, sewage system would back up and you'd get the uh, brown tide, mm -hmm. the brown swell mm -hmm. that would come up. And uh, yeah, but uh, what are you going to do? Right. You got to live somewhere. You know, they don't know how deep the Gowanus is because uh, there's so much like sediment and silt and pollution on the bottom that they are not clear on how deep it is. And there are at least four shipwrecks in it, but there might be more. <laughs> yeah, you should read the EPA report from a few years ago about how long it's going to take to clean up. It's incredible. Damn, just hundreds of crusty skeletons down there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you guys are going to tell a story about what, uh, going to Tasha, Natasha Leonard's party last night, but uh -oh. I can say that... I did not go to any Memorial Day parties last night because I am back to construction work. I thought you were going to say because hate you hate the, the troops. troops. Well, that too. But and also, America. Uh, I'm recovering from uh, my first week back at heavy construction. But I will have you know that one of the giant projects, at least five to ten years, that my union has coming up is the renovation of the Gowanus Canal and oh getting all that silt, all those dead crust punks and their yeah. uh, dead bandana pit bulls up from the bottom of that, cleaning it out so that, uh, I don't know, they could become like the yuppie Venice of uh, central uh, Brooklyn. That would be great. Careful, gonna, babe. Yeah, that's going to keep people and their children employed for a really long yeah. time. We're going to have some serious fin babies when you get on that job. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely hazmat, but, uh, you know. Uh, I'll get tested before we try anything. It's Posadism, IRL. It's great. Hmm. Thin babies. Yeah. It's the synthesis of humans and the sea comrades. I'm here for it. Steps away from the luxurious Gowanus <laughs> Canal. <laughs> uh, from the youth-giving properties of the Gowanus <laughs> Canal in the heartland of America. 
Anyway, it's like it's like the fountain <laughs> of youth, but you'll have three eyes when you get exactly. out. Exactly, you live forever so, and see with your pineal gland. Indeed, we're getting conspiracy theory. I had to say pineal gland. Yeah, you did. So, um, Anna, I wanted to recap a little bit about how I met you. I think we we ran into each other at the RNC in Cleveland. Did we? I don't. It's such a trauma blur for me that I don't yeah. even remember that weekend. Uh, I'll take your word for it, though. Yeah, like I, I think I first met you when I was doing my unsuccessful uh, union drive at my old job. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that through like WGA people. Remember that? And yeah. I told you how much I hated my job and my boss probably more than you wanted to know. <laughs> I've heard it. I've heard it about. I've heard it about that place or people yeah. were, anyway uh moving yeah. on <laughs> and then um at the like fast forward to the rnc which little did i know was just a small preview of the horrors that awaited me at the dnc <laughs> so i hear but, i was not at the dnc but i hear it was much worse it was actually quite a bit worse at least for me mm. and probably for a lot of people as well but i i remember just being so demoralized from all the horrible shit i'd been witnessing and then I went to an anti-Trump punk show at a at a cool little venue called Now in That's Cleveland. Class. It was amazing. That was a great. I still talk about that show because it was so much fun. It reminded me of going to punk shows in Santa Fe and Albuquerque, where I'm from uh, as a kid. It was just so much more fun than any show in New York ever is. Yeah, it was great. a really fun show. They had the fireworks, you know, mm-hmm. classic punk move, indoor fireworks. And I saw you there and I was just like really really needing friends and i was like you seem cool let's hang out and we did we hung out a bit that's totally right i remember that now yeah mm-hmm. that was a good night yeah and here you a are weekend. I and here, here i am here we all are here somehow we all are. yeah so um i figure as a way of like breaking the ice into this extremely rich and fertile topic <laughs> we could all go around and say what our favorite conspiracy theories are okay um I like the one about Alex Jones actually being Bill Hicks, mainly because it makes Alex Jones very angry. And I think that's funny (laughs) that it's like one of the only things that like really hurts his feelings. Um, You know, I have lots that I enjoy and personally subscribe to, but that one I would say holds a special place for me. Nice. Yeah. I mean, there's so many good ones and they're all so cool and weird and funny well i'm a man of simple taste as you know and uh i like the golden oldies i i like the the jefferson airplane if you will the dad rock of uh conspiracy theories so if i had a favorite i just go the ahead protocols and say, of the elders is i am <laughs> oh, no, no, no let's not don't say that i i was talking about the jfk assassination and no one has accused the jews of doing that as far as i know that's, that's mm, weird right probably yeah. probably has. is them that <laughs> Deep, deep, deep cover. No, it's 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 such a rich topic because uh, we'll is this doubt- guy okay? <laughs> oh yeah, I can't tell. He's very Aryan oh. looking. So are we all right? <laughs> oh, don't worry. Sean is just casually anti-Semitic to okay. me all the time. Okay. It's fine. It's just how it's how we are. Yikes! Did I I'm say used something to it. wrong? <laughs> I don't know. Yes, I like JFK. It's a very rich subject. Uh, I think there's something there which makes it cool, and it's also recuperable for the left because I, if there was some sort of like. You know, deep state slash mafia slash, I don't know, like CIA connection, then it's not unlike the protocols of the elders of Zion, which we can take nothing good from whatsoever. Uh, JFK is interesting in, in that way. And there's a million books you can read and uh, really cool, crazy, fucked up shit on YouTube. Awesome theories. I love it. Andy, what do you got? Oh, so many. Um, like, 
there's there's one like the Bill Hicks Alex Jones ones I, one I really like, which is that Kurt Cobain faked his death and became Rivers Cuomo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is kind of a similarity. Wow. Yeah, age wise, it doesn't really work, but I like that one. I want to believe. In I that like one. the simplicity the of that hell? one. Yeah. yeah, that reminds me of the conspiracy theory that Andrew WK is actually like a bunch of different people. Clones. Yeah, or, that's yeah, a forced either one. Either a clone or switching yeah. them out. He's like the Saddam Hussein of. Uh trashy rock and roll so i think it's more of an mf doom thing or a gallagher two thing okay. <laughs> it's needed more than one i actually used to go to school with one of his cousins i should ask her if he's a clone yeah she totally. might have the documents or not a clone but like just different guys yeah like they're not guys. clones and that's how come you can tell oh i remember reading like a tumblr about this or something and the photos were actually very convincing i was like all mm-hmm. right all right yeah, yeah i'm with it or maybe he just is one of those people who just like looks totally different in different lights like that episode of seinfeld you know he lives in times square of course he does. I just That's, for some reason that does not surprise like me. Like in the building with the ball. He just like <laughs> he, he lives, lives in the ball. So yeah, he's just burrowed inside the ball at any moment, just waiting, waiting to party. For the big party. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Let's get a That's party so started. All right. <laughs> yeah. Let's let let indeed us get a party started. I'm switching all my words around. Um, okay, so I researched some conspiracy theories today. To try to remember what they are and mm. which ones are funny and which ones there's nothing funny about. Um, I I like the one about how FDR could walk, but he was just a bitch. <laughs> I think one of my friends believes that, actually. It's pretty pretty amusing. It's sort of a cousin to the Stevie Wonder isn't blind one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think that's maybe why Beto's like overcompensating by jumping up on shit. He's like, fuck you, FDR. Look what I can do. Yeah. yeah you're and no, I, I no saw FDR. a video that was supposed to be like, oh, FDR could totally walk, but he's not walking very well. Yeah, it. no, it's like, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the man had goddamn polio, for Christ's sake. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the Flat Earth ones are mm. pretty hilarious just because it really shows the limits of that people will go to just dig in against all contrary evidence. We talked about it on our last conspiracy theory episode. Yeah, the problem with the flat earth ones, and Kelly Wheel will talk about this too, who's a Daily Beast reporter who writes about them a lot, it always turns into Holocaust denial. <sighs> like it just Ooh. something, and like I've seen it in the Facebook groups that I'm part of too. It just, you question everything so far that that's, you know the terminal mm. stop as it were it just it's real like it's that suspicious and, that it always goes to there isn't it it's interesting it's um, a slippery slope or like flat uh non-slope <laughs> i guess <laughs> the case may be. A spinning disc. yeah it's a slippery disc um <laughs> but i also enjoyed the reptilian one about how the world is controlled by a race of lizard people from space and you know, it seems a little anti-Semitic, but oh, yeah. I, I don't take myself so seriously that I can't appreciate the humor in it as well. It's also like David Icke, who's the progenitor of that theory, is so bad at hiding the parts of his theory that are anti-Semitic that it's not mm-hmm. like it's not particularly coded. You can just be like, OK, David Icke, like you, you just you can you can see what he's doing. It doesn't pose a particular threat. And he makes amazing memes. As it turns out, like all he tweets are these really terrible self-made memes. I would recommend checking them out uh larouche was the same way too right a master conspiracy theorist where the anti-semitism wasn't even under the surface it was just all all out there for everyone to see yeah it's very much the quiet part is real loud Mm -hmm. yeah so before getting to the meat of the episode and like the really good questions that we wrote down here on the sheet um i noticed in your book that you met alex jones Mm. holy shit what was that like 
He was very drunk at the time um, because he was at a bar. In fairness, that's what you do at a bar. Um, so You're just I, a regular Joe. Yeah, he was just doing tequila shots with a bunch of his big, burly, quote-unquote, reporters who are obviously like his security force, who he just refers to as reporters. Um, we talked about whether vaccines cause autism, which they don't, but he thinks they do. Um, and we had a bunch of other sort of scattershot little conversations about things that didn't really matter and as it turned out he was there to meet with roger stone who is a trump advisor and so you know Mm. though i didn't know it at the time like alex jones was there doing serious shit and you know i was just there thinking that we were watching a weird little sideshow before hillary clinton got elected and we were nope yeah guess again we were all wrong on that one uh quick quick question though um alex jones seems like the cologne kind of guy was he a cologne or an aftershave guy since you were so close to him he was real sweaty though he was real red faced you couldn't smell the sulfur on him i could not smell anything on him which is actually interesting i did think about that Mm. because he was really he was really sweating freely but there was nothing there's nothing coming off him which is actually kind of surprising mm. maybe he had his sweat glands removed he maybe. probably did. robot almost certainly <laughs> some new theories are being born right even here. now did you guys did you hear the this american life episode where they find his backstory yeah in rockwall i had been hearing versions of that for years the other version is that he got thrown out of school for beating up African-American classmates, which turned out not to be true. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, because I used to work in Dallas, which is, you know, Rockwall, where he grew up as a suburb of Dallas. And Rockwall is known to be really sort of fancy and kind of soft. It's the soft one of the suburbs. And so I always heard versions of, like, Alex Jones is, you know, a little punk who couldn't handle himself. And his dad was always getting him out of trouble, which, as it turns out, is... Mm actually what the story is mm-hmm. so wow. you know where's good your, to know where's your daddy now that you're on the hook for that <laughs> sandy hook shit huh the people yeah. should listen to the episode but just to sum it up he was like kind of just a problem child at school and would fuck with people all the time and he beat the shit out of this kid and i guess uh like long story short that kid and a bunch of his friends like invited him to a party where the premise of the party was that they would just beat him up <laughs> And indeed they did. <laughs> yeah. And he had wow. to like leave school. And since then, he's just been very paranoid of people doing that to him again. So he's just like He did traumatized. a pretty serious Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. He also subsequently got in a fight with a listener in the parking lot of his radio show back when he still had a radio show. Um, and essentially did the same thing again, like filed a police report claiming that people were stalking him and that they were all green and had slit pupils like goats. And the Texas Observer did a story about it, I think. Um, so he's, yeah, all his life he picks fights. And then when people are like, okay, I'm happy to fight you, then he gets very frightened, which is mm. the, a great, great uh, mark of what kind of character he has. I guess Franklin Delano Roosevelt <laughs> isn't the only bitch in America. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually interviewed his ex-wife yeah. for a feature for a story that of course never ran. No. Because she's having a hard time, clearly. Yeah, and also like it was really hard to do any fact checking on it and Alex Jones is famously litigious. Uh but one of the things like I asked her is that, you know, does he really believe in all the shit that he says or is it just playing a character Mm -hmm. like he claimed in their divorce proceedings and you know take everything with a grain of salt that your ex-wife says but she says he's even weirder in real life than he seems and he believes in all of it 
I think that she would probably be in a position to know better than most folks, but it kind of doesn't really matter to me what he actually believes. Like I care about what he does, which is this for 25 years. So, you know, yeah, fair enough. Like when people are talking about like Gavin McGinnis or Ann Coulter, like, Oh, do they really believe it? Are they just grifters? Like it doesn't fucking matter. Right. The outcome is the same. The outcome is the same. They're spreading the same garbage around the world. People used to like to say that about Ann Coulter. And my theory is that they like to say that so that they could continue to socialize with her at dc parties and like feel okay about it but you actually can't yuck yeah so okay getting into the meat of the book um let's go back in time Mm. a little bit through let's take a journey through history um you talk about the history of conspiracy theories in the united states and how they have always been with us so what is it about this land mass this country that makes it such fertile ground for this kind of thinking So even the founders of what we now call the United States were super paranoid about a purported conspiracy. They believed that that England was, you know, conspiring, that the Queen's forces were conspiring to take them back under control um, and that they were going to be enslaved the the way that they were enslaving people, uh, which is something they were very concerned about. And... So from the start, we see this kind of suspicion about like an outside invading force. Um, and then for the next couple hundred years until World War One, most of the conspiracy theories in the United States are about some outside group seizing power. So Masons, Jews, Catholics, like some kind of. So basically all the conspiracy theories are really xenophobic, right? Um, which kind of reflects the character of the founding of the country. And then as the federal government starts getting bigger, more and more of the conspiracy theories are about the government itself, which again reflects the way that it got very large, very fast, very opaque, um, and you know, with a system of representation and taxation that people found really unfair and really hard to understand. So you know, from that time on, we see all these conspiracy theories about who is really running the government. So the sh- that's a long way to say that Um, inequality and a perceived sense of threat, whether real or imagined, is such a big part of America that conspiracy theories are too. Yeah, to follow up on that, uh, you talk about in the book how a lot of conspiracies uh, that arise from the far right come out of uh, a backlash to periods of social progress. And, and, you know, on the right and the left and the center as well, they arise when there's moments of uh, social or economic or political instability. Mm -hmm. And certainly the 20th century was that. So what's the dynamic at work there in terms of, you know, when when these things go from small and marginal and, and become bigger things? Yeah, on an individual level, people start to believe in conspiracy theories when they feel disempowered. So we see it a lot, like when people's favored political party is out of power, they're more likely to engage in conspiracy thinking. Um, So there's a lot of that. Um, There's also, you know, as you said, conspiracy theories happen in times of social change and social upheaval and flux and when we're sort of questioning who we are. And Americans are pretty much constantly doing that and are more and more sort of polarized if we want to put it that way so it's kind of unsurprising that we see more and more conspiracy theories and they're more and more sort of politically aligned you know there's more stuff that is identifiably from the right and from the left there are still a few places where it's almost just purely apolitically weird like aliens yeah so let's talk more about uh why conspiracy theories are having such a moment right Mm -hmm. now because they very clearly are we've got conspiracy theorists in the government confirmed uh including you know the president himself which is kind of still just 
fucking crazy to think about. Um, yeah. So what what's going on right now that this is happening? Mm-hmm. And uh, like, is it technology? Like, what's feeding this phenomenon? Right. So we we always have some level of conspiracy theorizing in the U.S., like between 50 percent of Americans and one in three believe in at least one conspiracy theory. But the reason why we're talking about it so much now is that um, having the ruling political party engaging in conspiracy theorizing and throwing around of sort of conspiracy laden accusations is actually kind of unusual. You know, like Nixon was the last president to like really, Mm. really do it the way that Trump does it. And so. Um, we're seeing a couple things. First of all, it's like um, if Trump decided to get up tomorrow and tweet that vaccines cause autism or that, you know, that Q is real, uh, it would like all hell would break loose. It would like destabilize like the world order. And so conspiracy theories matter in a way that they um, don't always. Uh, the other thing is that we see he is trying to rally his base and sort of coalesce power behind him using conspiracy theories. So like, that matters and is important. And at the same time, all the people who feel disempowered by him are also engaging in conspiracy theorizing about what's really going on. So actually everybody in America benefits from some form of conspiracy right now to explain what's going on. And Russia, Russia, Russia. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and Louise Mensch too, of course. Yeah, um, Louise. God, she's having a hard time. She's really, she doesn't have a coherent narrative for what's happening right now. Her world, her world, her world just fell apart. Well, she's going to, I mean, all the sort of resistance grifters are going to keep saying for a while that there are still secret indictments and they're they're about to come down and that everything's about to break open. But I don't know how long that's going to be able to last. It reminds me of, you know, Harold Camping, who is the um, apocalyptic preacher who said the world was going to end in 2012. He was able to push back the deadline a couple times, but like you can't do it forever. So eventually Harold Camping died, um, which was convenient for him. But, you know, Louise is pretty young, so I don't know what she's going to do. Yeah, people looked at me like, how dare you when I said that uh, like MSNBC libs kind of engaged with the Russia stuff in a similar way that like these mush brained right wing baby boomers engage with QAnon. Yeah. And they're like, oh, how dare you? The Russia stuff is real. But like, I, that's not what I said. I said that it serves a similar psychological function for yeah, them. Yeah. I mean, you know, like there there was a grain of truth, obviously, in the Russia stuff. It was also equally true that Trump was clearly not like a fucking Manchurian candidate or whatever Rachel Maddow was trying to claim was the case. Like it just that just didn't happen. So it's OK for us to say that that didn't happen. That was conspiracy theorizing. Like, that's all right. And one of the dominant themes right now that you use Trump and others on the right wing, you know, uh, as, as, a, as a talking point, they're, they're talking about fake news, right? Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about um, the way that conspiracy, conspiracies become mainstream, a lot of it is a, uh, an erosion of faith by all parties uh, in uh, the mainstream media in the United the States. failing right? mainstream media. Well, it's not just here. Like one in five people in Sweden get their news from like, quote unquote, alternative sources, a lot of them far right. And Sweden has seen like a huge rise in sort of xenophobia and anti-immigrant sentiment like yeah destabilizing trust in the media does a lot of things but it's also incredibly useful right like if you don't know what is true and you don't know what is a reliable source of information a lot of people sooner or later will just kind of give up looking which is i think ultimately what a lot of folks in power want you know it just has a a paralytic effect which is good for them it's nuts to think about conspiracy theories as a reaction to being out of power. Hmm. And yet uh, the far right is 
very much in power right now. I mean, yeah. Republicans control most of the government and they're still somehow feeding on this sense of disempowerment or aggrievement. Like, what kind of trick are they doing here? Yeah, well, so conspiracy theorizing conspiracy theories are good for creating a narrative. And so for disempowered people like black Americans, they've been a way to try to talk about injustice and try to like, in a sense, kind of, you know, keep themselves safe by being like, okay, you know, the CIA did all this fucked up shit. Maybe the CIA is also planting drugs, you know, in, in the community. So therefore we need to be careful. Right. So for people in power, what conspiracy theories do is be like, the reason why we're not achieving our goals, the reason why we're not, you know, doing all these amazing things we promised and draining the swamp and locking her up is because there is this other threat. So really, we look like we're in power, but actually we're still besieged. We're still on the outside and we still need your unquestioning support to get where we promised to take you. And even in the context outside of the context of uh, electoral politics everybody remembers gorka last week yeah. talking about gorka. yes and uh, the, the gay rodents and, and all that stuff the cracking we are in a war for our culture <laughs> yeah. he once accidentally cc'd the white house on an email that i sent him instructing the white house like not to talk to me <laughs> like Oops. he just it can't use email just can't like so again but like he's such a fucking clown but he's also a clown with like a or had a significant degree of power i would argue he probably doesn't well, the, anymore but you know, the yeah. reason i brought it up is because maybe part of why the right wing isn't sufficiently satisfied by having you know trump and also the senate and obviously the judiciary on their side is that that what they consider to be elites are also is is also the culture. Mm. So in a sense, you know, Hollywood and the mainstream media and the gay agenda, they these are also things that they want to confront, but have been unable to because things like, you know, equal rights and diversity are so entrenched in American society that it's still an area where they're not in control. Yeah. And that's been a subject of huge frustration for conservatives for a really long time. You know, like there was this belief on the right that the civil rights movement was a communist plot or a Jewish plot. You know, there's been a bunch of this and you see like people like Alex Jones and Mike Cernovich trying to intimate that, yeah, like feminism and black lives matter are, you know, tools of the Illuminati or whatever. And they try to do this because they want to weaken the support for those ideas, not understanding that those ideas are just have organic support that they can't understand as you say because they're just like not part of it it's really interesting to watch them trying to do that over and over and get really frustrated when people are not as homophobic or as anti-woman as they want them to be it's all a conspiracy it's all yeah. coded yeah. i have documents Marxism. i yeah. think what's so important about using the conspiracy theory tactic against something like feminism or black lives matter is those are movements that respond to things that are actually going on in people's day-to-day yeah. -day lives and conspiracy theories are saying don't listen to these people talking about their lives they are not trustworthy. You have to listen to our narratives and the, and trust them to the extent that it doesn't matter that they're like constantly changing and evolving. And, you know, like 10 years ago, I was like a 9-11 truther guy. But now I'm like, uh, I support the president. And yeah. it, you like, do, Andy? This is like the <laughs> Alex Jones kind of narrative. We're going to clip that out. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Answer. Yeah, I mean, but the, again, that has a really long history. You know, during the civil rights movement, what did Southern politicians say? They said that civil rights leaders were outside agitators. You know, like that is a very common thing to say that the people that you disagree with on social issues are in fact plants and, you know, spies and fakes and whatever. It's just a way to say, like, if you see people expressing support for those ideas, they're not real and they don't have to be listened to. 
Yeah, it seems very tied uh, to populism in in the way that it can be messy and it doesn't always break down neatly into left and right. Yeah. And each di- different kinds of populists have different elites that they blame. Right. Yeah. So the right has been very successful at defining elites in a cultural way, like the people who make cultural products or like study books and are nerds or whatever at Hollywood and mm-hmm. liberals and like the left has is starting at least to define elites as you know the people with all the money and all the power Mm. yeah and we but we don't always know like it's not always that neat like we don't always know which way the populism is going to go yeah and conspiracy theory theorizing is an extension of populism it's a way to try to yeah as you say identify those elites and hold them to account and so conspiracy theorism works for everyone in the way that populism does at least in america and the critique of populism as a concept from the left is that populism gets part of the way there. It recognizes the the one percent versus the ninety nine percent, for example, but uh, it it doesn't go all the way. Which is the same as conspiracy theories, because things really do happen. There's always a rational kernel within the conspiracy uh, shell. So, for example, you talk about um, in the black community community historically and today, uh, incidents of conspiracy theorizing are higher than the rest of the you know, U.S. public, and that's documented. Uh, but you talk about the real reasons, the historical reasons why uh, people would feel that way, black Americans would feel that way. Give us a couple examples from your book of things that have happened in the past that inform how people think about the world today. Yeah, I ended up doing a whole chapter about conspiracy theories in black America because they're so excuse me, because they're so specific and because they are so based in real events. So the one that I start out talking about is that there is a belief that the levees were purposely blown up during Hurricane Katrina, that they were dynamited. So that comes from a decision during the 1927 Great Flood to actually purposely dynamite the levees, not in New Orleans, but just south of the city, using the rationale that it was better to try to drown those under outlying areas to save the city proper. And so that happened. Uh, it displaced thousands of people. It killed a number of people that we still don't know how many, and it triggered one of the greatest mass migrations in American history. That was one of the first times that black Americans moved and mass up north. And so um, the idea that levees would be purposely blown up is not crazy. It is a thing that happened. And so during Hurricane Betsy in the 60s, and then again during Hurricane Katrina, people believed that they heard dynamite. Um, and so even though we don't have any evidence that that's true, and far more evidence that the levees just fucking failed because they were poorly maintained, um, it makes a lot of sense. And it also makes a lot of sense because the implication is that uh you know poorer black areas of the city were drowned to displace those people to remove undesirables and in fact uh that is what happened poorer areas of new orleans were rebuilt at a slower rate a lot of people that i met when i was working in texas were people who had been permanently forced out of louisiana so you know the idea that um that wouldn't happen is really hard to persuade people of who actually like lived through it so you know um that is one example. I'm trying to think. You what talk else about I wrote the about. Tuskegee experiments. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of fear about medical experimentation in the black community because the Tuskegee experiments were, you know, a 30 year study of uh, military veterans, mostly, I believe, um, with syphilis who are black men. And so the experiment continued long after the government knew what the cure for syphilis was. And they purposely chose not to treat those men Jesus. to study the, progress- the progression of the disease. And so it affected, of course, not just them, but their wives, their children. Um, and, you know, really like 
in the end, when it was discovered, led to all these changes in how we treat human subjects. But, you know, like, try convincing people of that who've grown up hearing about what happened to their family members. Like, people in the black community still participate in, like, medical trials at lower rates because, again, most people are like, fuck that. I'm not getting near that. And you can't blame them. No, you really can't. And, like, that's what's... I don't even want to say it's frustrating. Like, I just feel like there always has to be an opening when people are thinking this way because they're right to not trust the government and the right to think that the system is rigged and fucked up and designed to oppress them. They just don't always know um, exactly what's going on with that. Yeah. And it has real public health consequences too. Obviously, you know, the fact that some drugs aren't being studied on black people the way they are on white people means that we don't know, you know, if some of those drugs affect folks differently. We also like, There is a bunch of conspiracy theorizing around like AIDS being created by the government in a lab. And so people who believe in that are less likely to use condoms. Like there's a lot of sort of actual ill effects that come out of it, but it doesn't make it not understandable. Yeah. Uh, So this is this leads us to something I wanted to to, I wanted to bring up was about anti-vaxxers. We had a, you know, a health crisis in South Williamsburg recently because a lot of Orthodox Jewish people are are anti-vaxxers. And so there was a measles outbreak in, in South Williamsburg schools. Um, and I, I noticed that there's a, a lot of sympathy with anti-vaxxers. I wouldn't call it on the left, but just on kind of like, you know, um, not necessarily like far right or completely wingnut communities on Facebook. Just people are generally very skeptical of the government mandating people get vaccinations. Civil and in, liberties thing. And in a way, they're, yeah. they're right to feel that way. Um, but the explanation of why people should actually be vaccinated, which is to achieve herd immunity, yeah. is a very difficult to explain. And it's asking people to have faith in public institutions that realistically people shouldn't trust. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because I just got back from getting kicked out of an anti-vaccine conference in Chicago. Well done. Uh, which I'm writing about. I mean, they kick out everybody who isn't, you know... Um, of of their mindset but yeah so andy what you're seeing is a group of people who call themselves the medical freedom community and they are both on the right and the left um and they are definitely people who do not believe in herd immunity <laughs> so that that concept doesn't work for them also don't believe that the measles outbreak is real don't actually think that it's much of an outbreak and if you sort of push, push them on that we'll also say that they don't think measles is a serious disease but the other thing that they talk about which is more understandable is why would you trust the government why would you trust the fda why would you trust the cdc um so it's this like especially kind of potent um form of medical conspiracy theorizing because they can again credibly point to real horrifying things that the government has done to say i am not letting the government put needles in my kid you know so it's it's an especially hard one to um kind of talk people out of yeah it's real depressing one of the things that you get from your book because you were really in the trenches you've spent a lot of time with many different kinds of conspiracy theorists not just anti-vaxxers mm-hmm. but um reptilian reptilian folks you went to a geode conference that was filled with all sorts of truthers for all sorts of shit and you talk about in the book the way that the all these theories that they they operationalize people to research and engage and in some cases to act you know in the real world but they also tend to paralyze people politically. Uh, what's the dynamic at work there? Oh, and, and by reptilian folks, we, of course, mean the attendees of the DNC and the RNC. <laughs> oh, uh, I, meant, I meant the people in Russia doing crocodile, but uh, anyway, oh, yeah. that's, that's neither here nor yeah. there. Yeah, God knows what that's doing to them. 
Um, I'm sorry, you have to repeat your question because I just started <laughs> thinking about lizards. Uh, no, so it both, you know, people spend hours and hours and hours of their time doing research, asking questions, watching videos, mm-hmm. going to obscure uh, corners of the internet, going to conferences and things of that sort, and engaging with other people on these topics. So it is an activity that clearly people are engaging in. But at the same time, you know, you say that, it, that the, the, these conspiracy theories, because there's no real solution to them because they don't really exist they also tend to paralyze people politically yeah i mean so they they also tend to people tend to come out like more of what they were before the conspiracy theories that people believe in tend to line up with where they already were politically and socially and culturally it just kind of moves them further in that direction but yeah um there are studies that when people engage with like climate change conspiracy theories they're less likely to recycle or want to do anything about their carbon footprint when people engage with medical conspiracy theories they're less likely to you know get vaccinated obviously um and more likely to rely on you know weird alternative forms of health um there, yeah, uh, the other thing, too, is with that when people engage with conspiracy theories about like a rigged system or a deep state, they are less likely to vote. So a lot of what conspiracy theorizing does at its like deepest end is it sort of pushes people into this um, cycle where they're more and more suspicious and they're more and more angry and they're more and more disaffected and they feel less and less able to do anything about it and less and less able to like affect change in the real world or in the actual systems that they're upset with. And so I tend to see a lot of people moving towards demonizing like individuals. That is kind of where I see it going and it's like darkest end. Yeah. Like I was going to ask you, I think we talked a little bit about this in our last conspiracy theory episode, but like what kind of action is encouraged by these kinds of beliefs Mm -hmm. and like what, what kind of action is incentivized? Because for me, it always seems like it tends towards these like lone wolf acts of violence. Like, um, like the guy who showed up at, you know, Comet ping pong with a gun. And I think that speaks to, uh, the essentially, uh, non progressive or like neoliberal or non solidaristic American nature of conspiracy theories in that it's, uh, it's often much more, individualistic than collective minded if that makes sense yeah it does make sense and they tend to be sort of isolating in that they a lot of conspiracy theorists in the really deep end of the pool come to see themselves as individual actors arrayed against this like Mm. army of dark forces you know that they are fighting alone Um, conspiracy communities are like riven with infighting and suspicion and you know accusations of being a plant and as you say a lot of conspiracy theories tend to start sounding like rhetorical incitements to violence. So there's the comet ping pong guy. There's a guy who drove out on a bridge, you know, with several guns and was holding up QAnon signs who thankfully didn't hurt anyone. Um, and then of course at the most extreme end, there is like white supremacy mm-hmm. and, you know, nationalism and the far right who engage in a lot of conspiracy theorizing and also, you know, unsurprisingly are also super violent. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it is sort of a logical endpoint of a group of subcultures who tend to demonize their enemies to the point of literally suggesting that they are not human. Uh, it is very unsurprising that violence uh, now and then comes out of those groups. It just seems so incredibly American to me. Like it makes yeah. so much sense that this is happening here. And like, yeah. I know I like to blame capitalism for everything on this show and in my life. Um, and specifically like the Lord of the Flies version of it that we have in this country. Yeah. But it really 
like everything about this seems to make so much sense with what we've got going on. Like people have no control over their lives. They feel intentionally disenfranchised from power. Mm -hmm. They're atomized like crazy. Everyone's just like staring at their own screen in their house by themselves. And like, they don't trust each other. Like we were talking in our in our movie episode, actually, about horror movies and how the moral of a lot of these stories is like you just can't trust, trust other anyone. People. Yeah, what yeah, the fuck? yeah. I mean, totally. And a lot of people that I write about had some kind of incredibly negative experience with a system of power or a social system, and that's what like led them down this road. You know, there's this huge group of. Um, essentially financial conspiracy theorists who are like, you can't trust the IRS, do all this weird garbage instead. And while what they're doing is nonsense, it's still like, yeah, the IRS is a fundamentally pretty unjust institution, you know? So yeah, like it is very American. There is a reason why so much of this takes root here and it is about injustice fundamentally. Yeah. And and that's also seems like a way to sort of square the circle because there are people who believe these things, you know, with good reason, like the black community. And there are people who believe these things who are absolutely the ones in power. And I'm always having this argument with people when they're like, oh, well, how can you say that uh, capitalism gave rise to Trump mm-hmm. when most of the people who voted for Trump had more money than most of the people who voted for Hillary? And like, that's not the level that I'm ever making that argument on. And I think like, yes, certainly there are lots and lots of factors, but like the fact antisocial behavior itself Mm. is not necessarily a result of economic deprivation. It could be something as simple as living in an extremely antisocial society where antisocial behavior is highly incentivized. Yeah. Well, in a society that teaches you that you are constantly under threat, that you constantly have to fight to maintain your position on the ladder and that people below you are trying to pull you down or pull you off the ladder entirely. You know, like I talked to Chip Burlett, who's like a researcher who talks a lot about the far right. And he talked about, you know, that the rise of the second clan was really at a time, Mm. you know, when people were doing well economically, like it wasn't like a bunch of, yeah, yeah, it wasn't like a bunch of poor white people were like, Oh man, you know, we real, we feel really taken out of um, economic circulation. We need someone to blame. No, they were doing well. They were just being told that they constantly needed to be afraid of losing, Losing, losing their position, losing their foothold. And what's really fucked up about a lot of conspiracy communities on the far right is they, they will use actual conspiracies against black Americans, historical ones, to justify their own suspicions. You know, like you'll hear Mike Cernovich talk about Tuskegee. So, it's, yeah, it's something that kind of feeds feeds itself. There's a there's a real kind of um, Oribus, Ouroboros, is that what they call it? Ouroboros? Yeah, the snake uh, feeding on itself. When you look at the story of, say, Theodore Kaczynski, the Unabomber, because yeah. he was uh, a lone wolf terrorist. We Friend call of the him show? That? No. JK. <laughs> <laughs> we are not Ann Prims here. But, uh, no, we're glam prim. <laughs> I like Zerazan a little bit, mm. but not, yeah. not Uncle Ted. Not Uncle Ted. No, but- I want to live in a yurt with Wi-Fi and a bathroom, okay? <laughs> Ted did not live like that when they found him. I, I think the interesting part of the, of the story is that he does have this paranoid vision, which does have some basis in reality. Industrial society is fucked up. Mm. And everybody remembers famously when he was caught and they, you know, put him on trial, yada, yada, yada. 
what came out subsequent to that was that in the 1960s, when Ted Kaczynski, as this brilliant young student, was at Harvard University, there was a, another real conspiracy that the government was doing called MK Ultra, which was testing LSD on people. And he was unwittingly put into an LSD experiment in order to test his like you know mental capacity to get through the trauma and see if they could turn him into like a Manchurian candidate. And this is all documented. Mm. And so, of course, you know, 20, 30 years later, when he loses it. You know, it's not surprising because he actually was confronted by a real government operation to fuck with people's heads. Oh, my God. I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. MKUltra comes up so much among the people I talk to. It really is like the most like primary form of suspicion and trauma for people to be like, if they'll do that, they will do anything. That's amazing. I had no idea. Yeah, that and uh, COINTELPRO. Another real one. Yeah, it's a real one. Um, to, to get to the, um, I don't know, the psychological aspect of it, right? Because mm. there's, of course, the social, there's the political, economic, and then there's the individual psychology of it. Uh, with all these accounts that you have in your book, it's very clear from the material that uh, these people have an intense emotional uh, response to, to, to these things. Uh, like Pizzagate, right? The people have a real empathy for perceived child abuse victims. They uh, and they turn this into an intense hatred that you rightly mentioned is personified and focused on particular individuals. Mm. It seems like this conspiracism is like this lizard brain desire for dopamine rushes and uh, kind of narcissistic need to be the good guy, you know, in this yeah. battle against evil. Well, I think it, you know, if we want to put it in a more charitable way, it allows people to feel like they are participating in making the country or the world a more just place. They can feel like they're doing something heroic. They can feel like they're changing history. But really, I think the partition participation part is important where they feel like they've identified the enemy and they're engaging with them directly. It makes people feel very powerful. Um, and it can be really frustrating, though, especially when you're talking about something like Pizzagate, where it's like, you know, if you feel this much empathy for victims of child abuse, there are real victims of child right. abuse that you could be giving your time or your money or your attention to instead of shooting up pizza parlors. But yeah, I definitely think that people want to feel that they are on the right side of history and a warped way well i should read some carl marx instead seriously but, uh, i mean that was what our that was what our last episode was about that we did on this stuff yeah. um our friend tanzim was part of uh, a collective that made a pamphlet called overthrowing the illuminati or mm. how to overthrow the illuminati and it was geared towards urban teens who maybe believe in illuminati theory because that's like the vocabulary they've come up with to explain the things that they suspect are fucked up about the world. And it's pretty cool because it goes through, like, it takes it seriously. It's mm -hmm. not like, you believe this because you're an idiot. Yeah. Like, it takes it seriously and then goes through uh, where Illuminati theory falls short for explaining what's fucked up about the world. And then it basically goes, but there is a cabal of people who are conspiring hmm. to keep you down. There's a system in place that is keeping you down. It's called capitalism. That's a good one. That's a really good way to engage with that rather than just be like, you're dumb. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it, it's a printable pamphlet. We'll put it in the show notes that looks like it's called How to Overthrow the Illuminati with like a pyramid eye on the cover. So it just looks like That's really conspiracy smart. literature. Yeah. And I actually printed a bunch out and I, I just gave them to this like new Black Panther kind of guy who tables yeah. at Myrtle Broadway. Yeah. Uh, I gave him that and like a few other more like explicitly political zines. Um, and I came back a couple day la days later asking if he wanted more. And he's like, 
Oh yeah, the other stuff I'm not so interested in, but the Illuminati thing definitely nice. bring me more oh, of those. Wow. Which I'm positive he didn't read it, but no, the no. fact that he was willing to to carry it to was, hand was it cool. Out. It yeah. passed. It, it passed as real Illuminati propaganda. Uh-huh. Nice. Oh man, yeah. Like, how do we get people to go there? Like, to go from. And I'm talking about, you know, marginalized people and working class people and people we want on our side because we don't care about the ruling class. They're never going to be on our side. They are our enemies. They can believe whatever they want as long as they're not in power. But how do we go from that uh, that rational suspicion of the state and of, you know, whoever it is that's keeping them down and channel it? in a more, uh, const- I mean, what I would consider to be a more constructive, a.k.a. anti-capitalist direction. Right, and what's constructive is, of course, debatable, but I would say, yeah, that you're identifying that conspiracy theories are the symptom, they're not the disease, they're an expression of dissatisfaction with the way that things are, and so one thing that we can do to make them things better is to start building a better and more just country and one of the first ways that we can do that is to make people less isolated so many of the people i know who have fallen to the really deep end of the pool are extremely isolated from their irl communities and working on things that are you know locally important because they're so wrapped up in this sort of galaxy brain shit and i often think that so many of the people i talk to could really be like brought into actual struggles and actual forms of activism somewhat easily, you know, if you could get them to kind of change their direction and it would be really cool to see. But unfortunately we haven't seen a ton of it yet. So maybe the trick is disguised Illuminati pamphlets. Maybe that would do it. <laughs> There's a, uh, I, I made an interesting connection to what we were just talking about because it seems like from what I got from the history is that, in the past, I'm, I'm thinking the uh, protocols of the elders of Zion mm-hmm. and all uh, used by the Russian secret uh, police under the czar. And then something like the International Jew by Henry Ford, which he put, of course, in all of his car dealerships. So yeah. people could learn about the uh, conspiracy. And in the papers he ran for like right, 28 weeks in, in a row or something. In yeah. Dearborn. Yeah. Yeah. So conspiracism seems to have gone through the course of the 20th and now into the 21st century from a thing, a, a political tool that was wield, uh, wielded by the powerful in order to manipulate the public into now you know, it, it was also too like a self-funded propaganda. Like if you look at the John Birch Society, which mm-hmm. was funded by Robert Welch, who was a rich businessman in mm-hmm. order to undermine the left or whatever. Um, it's gone from that to what you call in, in the book, I believe, conspiracy entrepreneurialism. Yeah. So you now have these kind of small business people who are making a buck off of YouTube or radio shows or whatever it is. There's a kind of been a change in the in the capitalist dynamics at play on the of the production and consumption of conspiracy theorists. Yeah, or it's like people who hope to make money off of it and aren't necessarily doing so. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people looked at Alex Jones and were like, I can do what Alex Jones does, not understanding that his money actually comes from his supplements and his like lifestyle products, not from just his, you know, bloviating into a microphone for five hours a day. I think he is the most talented broadcaster of our time, he let's is. be real. Let's give, it, let's give him that. <laughs> he just did a 20-minute segment about my book. Obviously, oh, was boy. very mad. Um, he has been deplatformed <laughs> to such a degree, though, that it barely like affected me. You know, usually oh. when somebody does that to me, I have a really long day. Mm. Yeah, and, no shit. Um, I've been there. Yeah, in, in this case, I started getting weird emails. I started getting weird tweets, but I couldn't figure out where they were coming from. And I was like, oh, somebody on like 8chan must have linked to my book somewhere like that was the level of the volume and then i was like oh no it's alex jones with my face behind him for 20 minutes 
Holy but shit. yeah, I mean, he really has been very effectively cut off from a lot of his audience, clearly, which is super interesting to me. He's just got his little uh, Paul Joseph Watson, that uh, sweaty faced ghoul yeah. out there still uh, pushing that yeah. propaganda oh, and pills for him. It's been so good for Paul Joseph Watson. That's the thing is that when conspiracy entrepreneurs as individuals are destabilized, then it just creates a vacuum and another one steps in, you know, like it really is working for people. But yeah, I mean, the conspiracy entrepreneur stuff also combines people's desire to be famous and to be social media and reality tv stars with conspiracy shit and we're seeing like there's a reason why like logan paul is flirting with that stuff it's because it works it drives engagement i mean as we kind of get closer to the end here um as a follow-up to what i asked earlier about pizzagate it's not not true that the ruling class are a bunch of pedos though right I mean, I mean, it's not it's not completely baseless. Yeah, I mean, what's what's his name? Jeffrey Epstein had a yes. plane called the Lolita Express. Like yeah. you named your plane after a book about child yeah. rape. And you're going to say that it's crazy to think these people are raping children. But we yeah. just have to keep in well, mind that it's incidental. Like they're just evil people. And that's one evil thing they can do because they can do whatever they want well that that's the point of the thing is that when you have a certain amount of money and power right these baser instincts that people have to gratify themselves by abusing other people you're able to actually get away with it i don't think that you know it's particular to like very very rich people they're just the ones who are able to set themselves up that they can habitually abuse people and also like let's admit too with uh great britain for example with all the buggery happening over there it it is a social thing among you know the upper classes in various countries well, and I to think ritualistically do these the things. The system also selects for psychopathic yes, traits, like the people too. who make it to the top. It's not like you and I would be raping kids if we suddenly found ourselves in a position of wealth and power. At least I hope not. Like the people who tend to make it to there tend to be like less regarding towards yes, others that's true yeah i mean there's a lot of sexual abuse at every level of power and like you say like a, the people who get away with it are you know the people who have the means to do so but the idea that these people are meeting in secret to solidify their bonds by sexually abusing children is like a different thing Mm. entirely and it's literally a medieval conspiracy theory that we're Mm. seeing in a new form so yeah i would i you know that's the that's sort of the dividing line between what's real and what isn't real it's like are these people abusing children just because they're bad people yes are they doing it because it's part of a you know luciferian black (laughs) mass in a fucking basement somewhere no probably Mm, not try telling that to matt chrisman oh really he's got some he's got some ideas yeah they say like you you say in your book like a lot of americans buy into at least one conspiracy theory okay (laughs) yeah that's i guess that's one you can do well the the satanic (laughs) panic uh, you know in the late 80s and 90s was the same thing right this is a recurring theme i think the child something about the child abuse is so evocative for people and it gives them such a pure enemy because maybe the most disgusting thing we can imagine happening to another human being that it seems to be this theme that I guess you say runs back to the Middle Ages? Yeah, it's the blood libel. The blood libel, you know, obviously was the idea that Jews were abusing and then murdering Christian children to put their blood in matzah and so we see versions of that over and over and over and yeah, like you say, the satanic panic was one of the purest expressions of that. But what's so interesting to me is that so often these people claim that these things are happening literally underground like one of the most famous satanic panic cases was uh, the McMartin preschool case, which ended up being one of the longest criminal trials in American history. Um, and at the close of it, when there were still no actual sexual abusers to be found, the parents who believed that their children had been sexually abused started insisting that there were tunnels beneath the school. 
Um, they believe that because they partnered up with a really crazy F- ex-FBI agent. But so they started demanding to be allowed to dig beneath the school and find these tunnels. And it was only, I think, when they realized that the tunnels didn't exist that they started sort of moving away from that conspiracy theory. But it's very like there is a primal, almost like Jungian thing about it. Part of what was interesting about Pizzagate was watching it unfold in real time based on the leaks of like the Podesta emails that were very um, uh, innocuous. Yes. Like we like we received thousands and thousands of emails of just these, you know, bloodless bureaucrats reducing politics to, you know, favors and back scratching and talking points. And there was so little to squeeze out of it, so little that was actually scandalous. You know, there was bad stuff, but, you know, the bad stuff that we kind of knew was like already going on. Bad stuff. We, I mean, when we talk about Pizzagate, like, obviously, there, you know, the Epstein stuff, there's, there's something, you know, behind why people would believe something like Pizzagate. There's real evidence behind, like, the concept that that kind of thing could go on. But it's not in the Podesta emails. No, it's not. And it, it was always really interesting to me to talk to uh, Pizzagate believers and be like, okay, but why did you decide that cheese pizza actually meant child porn? Like, where did you get that? Where did you get these code words from? And for them to just be like, well, it's obvious. And I'd say it's, it's not obvious <laughs> to me. And that inevitably always led to them being like, well, maybe you're the pedophile. And what mm-hmm. was it? <laughs> what was the, what was obvious that you missed as I a mean, journalist? I think that they believe that, um, anybody who doesn't clearly see that these people are all child abusers and pedophiles is just in league with them you know like the media yeah i mean that's ultimately their sort of last line of defense is if you believe something different than them you are of course a plant and a paid shell and you know uh on the side of big pharma or the pedophiles or both well i mean child porn and cheese pizza both start with cp how about that that is exactly that's obvious claim that they made in contradiction of what i just said (laughs) Don't you think some of that stuff is weird with, like, the thousands of hot dogs? <laughs> the, I mean, the weird art that he had on the wall. No, not the art. That was That's Tony Podesta, right? Stuff. Yeah. But some of those emails are phrased in a kind of strange way. There's no evidence that it's, like, children or whatever. It's yeah, just... I mean, I don't know. It's a weird <laughs> group of people. Like, anybody who wants to run the world is just a fucking weird person, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, I mean... I, I'm certainly curious about their inner workings, but, um, they, you know, so probably, much of it is yeah. just the fact that people in the middle of the country don't understand the ridiculous, awful art that coastal <laughs> elites like. Oh, yeah. Like Marina. <laughs> I love how freaked out they were by Marina Abramovic. Like yeah. they think she's literally a witch yeah. and not just like a boring, rich artist. Yeah, I mean, I even have a lot of experiences with folks where I show up somewhere and they feel very just trolled by my appearance. They're just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Because I have, you know, dyed black hair some of the time and I, you know, just don't look right to them. And they're just like, well, you are clearly satanic. Like, I don't even know why you're here (laughs) trying to pretend like you're not. I'm like, okay. Us goth socialists got to stick together. Yeah, I mean, you know, but it's just like a lot of it is just them identifying these sort of subculture markers as being like literal portents of evil like no 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 i'm a hipster (laughs) quite different (laughs) yeah they don't have that vocabulary they don't have that language like the super christian folks involved in pizzagate they would be listing off these band names to me who of 
you know, bands that played at Comet Ping Pong and they'd be like, why is a band called Heavy Breathing? And I'd be like, <laughs> probably because they think it's funny. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know how to explain my, my cultural references to you. Oh my God. I mean, it, doesn't that get to the heart of so much of this too, is about how, uh, how little, you know, different class strata and geographic groups in this country, you know, have in common with one another on a yeah, cultural level, yeah, of course, in, yeah. in class terms, right? We have a lot in common, right? Uh, we have, you know, the, the, I don't know, um, the Appalachian without a job, uh, the former coal miner and a person in the central Valley who like can't find work, uh, you know, picking radishes or whatever the case may be. Those people have a lot more in common with one another, of course, than they, any of them do with Jerry Epstein or, or whoever else. Yeah, right? They have more in common than they think with like a broke ass recent college grad in New York city, like, yeah. doing random cam girl work and trying really hard to find a job. Which yeah. leads us, like, I think, to how you conclude your book, and you can maybe take us out on a, on a, on a, uh, I don't know, bright, a bright note. Uh, mm. um, you know, you're very dubious about uh, journalists and activists being able to directly confront these uh, phenomena, social and political. Yeah, like you can't talk people out of these beliefs. Not usually, no. Not once people are super super far into them it like is like religious faith it's just a really hard thing to you know talk your way out of yeah and then you also mentioned earlier about how as soon as alex jones goes by the wayside he gets deplatformed and when you were actually attacked by him on his show you barely noticed yeah. two years ago you would have been inundated i would have yeah um, yeah but paul joseph watson's waiting in the wings to to pick up the slack so the deplatforming only is like kind of a whack-a-mole sort of thing uh, but you do have a quote that says, uh, we will not be a less paranoid country until we are a fairer one. So um, what does that look like and how will it detoxify, de- detoxify the soil that conspiracism grows in? I mean, we're always going to have conspiracy theories. They're just always going to be with us, but they lose their power when people have less to feel disenfranchised by and less suspicious of. You know, when we have a more transparent electoral system, you know, more just medical system or more just financial system, people have less to pin their anger on and they have less reason for it. You know, a lot of conspiracy theorizing is because people want these big forces in their lives to have big causes and evil actors. And when we lessen the negative influence of those forces on people's lives, they just have less use for this stuff. You know, it's pretty direct, like countries with really functional social democracies and good safety nets don't contend with this the same way that we do, except Sweden. Um, You know, so it's yeah, I don't know. It's a combination of things. I'm sort of dubious about us ever getting there, but there is a roadmap. There is a way to do it. And it has to do with a lot of the work that folks are doing already. This is kind of like a. Where, where, what I was thinking as a positive resolution to the anti-vax thing, hmm. and this is kind of like a bong rip thought experiment. Here but we like, go, folks. What if there was like, you know, what if we had a revolution and we lived in society where people got the newspaper or turned on the news or got some news from like the health department and they just believed it and trusted it, right? Because we just lived in such a radically different society that we just didn't like. We just had faith in our fellow man and yeah. in like whatever constitutes the government and we just think that the scientists have actually solved the problem and we should trust them and do what they say even though we're we're never going to like fully understand 
how the infrastructure works. Yeah, that'd it's, be pretty it's cool. Impossible to imagine, but like <laughs> well, that's the only real solution. I right? mean, we imagined uh, bringing back cyclical time in, when in our episode of Swampside Chats. We mm, imagined yeah, abolishing the distinction between work and non-work. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. if we can imagine that, like uh, I don't know, maybe we can imagine. I mean, they they go together. I think. Well, I mean, we're always yelling about communism here on this show, but I can like, see that. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah, I guess you hadn't listened before. <laughs> uh, but like, do you think like is there something inherent in humanity that they're always going to engage in this type of thinking? Or like in a in a different world, in a post capitalist world where we have regrown the bonds of community between humans and their fellow humans. Uh, where we have a truly participatory democracy where people have control over their own lives and their own work mm-hmm. and their own human capacity. Mm. Like, it's hard for me to imagine that this would still exist, but maybe you disagree. I mean, it will still exist among, like, individual people. We'll all have some, we'll always have some individual conspiracy theorists at the far end of the spectrum. But yeah, I do believe that building a more just world is fundamentally going to be our way out of this. You know, we're not going to be driven by conspiracy theories, you know, when we have less reason to feel suspicious and also you know not incidentally when we don't have a conspiracy theorist in office as president like it really does make a huge difference to have somebody in such a position of power nodding at these things and you know i really really hope that we get through the next few months and the next few years without him deciding to feed that part of his base even more than he has already because you know that somebody somewhere in his cabinet is telling him that he should engage with the Q shit and that he should start dropping more Q hints to you know keep their attention and keep their good faith so I very much hope that that does not happen well if I could talk just real briefly on the communism tip because I like to do that maybe I'll take us out with this Uh, in the first chapter when there was the geode slash like truther conference uh, I thought about how this tendency in humanity to want to understand things, to have there be some sort of enchantment, this combination of like a, a spiritual sense that we have, uh, you know, going all the way back to hunter-gatherer society, this connectedness with the world and mm. something beyond it, uh, but also our desire to understand and to know things. That's expressed itself differently in different eras, right? It would be, you know, telling stories and dancing around a campfire 10,000 years ago. Today, it's going into a pizza parlor and pointing guns at people and shooting through locks and doors. But I would imagine that certainly in a uh, society where we got past all of this shit, where we were post-capitalism, these same tendencies would exist in every human being just as greed and avarice exists in Mm. every human being uh you know it just incentivized more under capitalism i would imagine that um you know if we got over this postmodern, you know materialist emptiness that that, uh, capitalism has given us today we can create really cool conceptions of the universe and the world and how we fit into it uh that don't involve all sorts of social pathologies because there's always going to be a part of us that wants this real world to be more than it is mm-hmm. and there's always a part of us that are going to want there to be good versus evil and i think hopefully we can get to the point where we understand that evil is something that uh isn't an in- aren't individuals you know mm-hmm. but they are actual structures and that when we confront them we can make up really cool evils like start talking about like aliens and reptiles as like this outside force that humanity is united against or something i don't fucking know yeah i do think that the like the purest end of conspiracy theorizing will be when we're all just 
really, really into talking about aliens. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Take some DMT and talk about Posadism. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, that was a very anti-Posada sentiment that you just came <laughs> up with. Um, but yeah, let's stick around and uh, talk a little bit more about aliens for Poet Cult. All right, and stay tuned, folks. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. So this is just a reminder. Our show relies on your support. Uh, most of our episodes are free, but if you like what you hear and you have the means to do so, you can go to patreon.com slash the antifada. That's patreon.com slash the antifada and sign up to be a member, which will unlock all sorts of cool bonus content as well as our awesome Discord community. Shout out to the Discord community. And assorted other surprises, which are on the way. Um, Also, you can buy Anna's book. Uh, It is out now on Metropolitan. And once again, the book is called Republic of Lies, American Conspiracy Theorists and Their Surprising Rise to Power. And now we're going to play ourselves out with an extremely topical treatise um, and not at all a lame dad rock for liberals. Um, I'm speaking, of course, about the paranoid style by bad religion. Hey, let's jump around to the renegade sound of the paranoid style.